Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. We're getting close to the end of the liturgical year. Advent is going to begin right in December, as it always does. Uh, but now, as is the case in every liturgical year, uh, we're back into Holy Week. We always think of Holy Week as the week preceding Easter. But at the end of the liturgical cycle, uh, we always end up at the end of the Gospels. And all four Gospels talk about Jesus and Holy Week. And in chapter 23 of uh, Matthew's Gospel, and this is the only reading we'll have from chapter 23, uh, it's about what happens when you have teachers that teach the truth but don't live it. Um, no excuse for running away from Jesus. Sinners will fall out all along the march to Mount Calvary. He's already told us that. You have to decide whether you're made of sterner stuff. Holiness is walking with the Lord. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 23 and a couple of chapters that precede it, which I think opens us up uh, to the meaning of the cross and how Jesus is preparing us for the life of the church. Well, chapter 23, Jesus is on the offensive and he's teaching there in the temple precinct. But to get the, the ebb and the flow of Holy Week, let's go back through chapters 21 and 22, which are the prologue to chapter 23. And Jesus is teaching about uh, teaching authority, especially the teaching authority of the church versus the teaching authority of the Pharisees. But chapter 21, two chapters before the chapter for the gospel today, Jesus enters in Jerusalem. He is hailed as the Messiah. He has messianic signs. He uh, comes in just like the prophets say that the Messiah will come in. He's cheered and he's welcomed. Immediately he goes to the temple and he cleanses it of the, the moneylenders. This is not a way you're going to get on the good side of the chief priests and the elders. And then this is one of the interesting things. Uh, after cleansing uh, the, the temple, he's on his way back to Bethany and he sees a fig, uh, no, he's on his way to the city in the morning after returning to Bethany. He sees a fig tree and he curses it. Right after the gospel for this week about the teaching authority of the Pharisees, you turn the page to chapter 24 and Jesus is lamenting over the destruction of Jerusalem because the cursing of the fig tree is a prophetic sign of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. So in the, in the uh, kind of the shadow of this prophetic sign, here's the question that Jesus is asked in the temple area, and it's by the chief priests and the elders. Why are they asking him the question? Because he's chased out all the moneylenders out of the temple. He's cleaned out his father's house. So when he came into the temple area, it says the chief priests and the elders of the people approached him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And that's when he says, well, you tell me by what authority John the Baptist uh, preached. Was it by divine authority or was it on his own dime? And of course, they won't answer. And so the story that you and I are going to talk about in the gospel is very much about teaching authority. Jesus is going to answer the question. He's just going to teach his disciples. He's not going to get in an argument with the uh, 
the, the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees. Then chapter 21 concludes with the story of, that we had in the, in the readings, if you remember, about the man who had two sons. And he said to one, go work in my vineyard. And, and the guy says, no way, Dad, but turns around and goes and does it. The second, uh, he asked to work in the vineyard. You betcha, Dad. But then he takes off and does his own thing. Who pleases Dad? Well, the one that does the will of God. And then immediately following that, a story and it's about how you listen and you follow the will of God keep these stories in mind then there's the parables of the tenant and how uh, the father finally sends his son and what do they do they kick him out of the vineyard and they kill him just like the chief priests who he's talking to are going to a few days uh, force him to carry his cross with the Romans outside of Calvary where he'll be crucified and so you see the shadow of the cross all over these chapters coming up to the gospel today. And so we turn to chapter 22, which is the immediate chapter before the reading today. And you remember, it was just a couple of weeks ago, is the parable of the wedding feast. And this again is about God's gracious invitation to join him at the wedding feast. But the ones who should come don't come. And so he goes out to the rest of the world, read it as the Gentiles, but still you have to be prepared for the wedding feast. And so the next thing is they go on the assault again. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the Herodians, uh, and uh, the Sadducees. And so it's the story about whether or not uh, it's lawful to pay taxes to the emperor. You remember the one about the coin? Whose image is on the coin? Divine Tiberius. Whose image is on you? Well, your creator, God. And then it was last week the question about, uh, well, the question about the greatest commandment. And that followed up on the Sadducees' attack about whether there was a resurrection. Remember the, the story about the woman who had seven husbands and in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Uh, and then Jesus is starting to talk about the Paschal mystery. And he says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of the living and not the dead. And at the heart of it is the greatest commandment. And this is about teaching. What are the two greatest uh, commandments? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now just think about these two chapters, 21 and 22. It's about Jesus coming as a prophetic figure to Jerusalem. He's cleaning up Jerusalem. He's being attacked by the leaders of the people, the Sadducees. He's attacked by the elders and the Pharisees. He's attacked by the Herodians, the party of King Herod. Um, and uh, he is teaching. And so chapter 23 is about teaching authority. And if you remember, it's this, this question is here, and Jesus is talking about this because of the chief priests asked by what authority he does these things. He's now going to explain some things. So let's tune in to chapter 23. So as for the scriptures today, the first reading is from Malachi chapter 1 and the Gospels from 20, chapter 23 of Matthew. And to understand chapter 23 of Matthew as the fulfillment of the prophecy from Malachi, which is very much about the Messiah, because Malachi is the prophet that says, before the Messiah comes, God will send Elijah. And if you remember in Matthew, Jesus identifies John the Baptist as Elijah. 
And so Malachi is talking about how you'll know who the Messiah is. Now listen to this from Malachi 1. O great king am I, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not lay it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. And of your blessing, I will make a curse. You have turned aside from my way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. You have made void the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. I therefore have made you contemptible and base before all the people. Since you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your decisions, have we not all the one Father? Has not the one God created us? Why then do we break faith with one another, violating the covenant of our fathers? That's a reading from Malachi. Pretty harsh on the chief priests, isn't it? By the way, where are the chief priests? Are there any left? There's something to think about, right? I mean, there hasn't been sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem for 2,000 years, but the sacrifice has gone on according to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so when thinking about the fulfillment of, um, of this prophecy in Malachi, listen now to the gospel from Matthew chapter 23, right in the beginning. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets and seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher and you're all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go through some of these issues. I want to go to the one first because the Protestants always talk about it. Call no man father. Did you get that? As if Jesus is now telling you to disobey the fourth commandment and don't honor your father and your mother. This is hyperbole. What's he talking about? And it makes so much more sense if you don't take cheap shots at the gospel and at Catholics, but try to understand what the gospel is saying to all of us. Why is there so much disunity in Judaism in the first century? Why is there so much disunity in Christianity in the 21st century? We have the same sins as everybody else, brothers and sisters. And why? It's because um, we all want to be rabbi. Um, but we have one father, Jesus said. We're one family. We're not five different denominations or five different sects. We're not warring tribes. So call no one on earth your father. We have one father, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that should draw us all together. But here's the second thing I wanna make about the reading. So that was all about teaching authority and we're gonna kinda of go through it a little bit. But one of the things about the general organization of chapter 23, if you were to go through and read it, 
if you followed immediately after um, uh, this reading leaves off, which is about those who humble themselves will be exalted and those exalt themselves will be humbled, well, Jesus turns and immediately here is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You lock the kingdom of heaven before human beings. You do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow entrance to those trying to enter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You traverse sea and land and make one convert. When that happens, you make him a child of Gehenna twice as much as yourself. So now the point is the woes continue on. And they're the woes that are the basis for the destruction of Jerusalem, that and the temple. That Jesus is saying, just like the ancient prophets did, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, that the temple is going to be destroyed because of the sins of the people. And so this is essentially what happens in the year 70. But there's something else I want to point out to about how Matthew has structured his gospel. Do you remember when we started reading the gospel of Matthew? And it was just before we started Lent uh, earlier this year. We're in chapter 5. And chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And it's what begins Jesus' public ministry. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Right? All of the blessings. You can find the Sermon on the Mount, though it's called the Sermon on the Plain, though apparently it takes place on a mount in Luke. And in Luke, he has basically four of the blessings that track the same blessings that are in Matthew's gospel, because this teaching goes right back to Jesus' mouth at the beginning of his ministry. But you know what Luke does if you go and read the Sermon on the Plain in Luke? As, as soon as the blessings are over, he starts talking about woe to you and woe to you. He puts blessing and woes together. The reason is, is because in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, the second to last chapter of Deuteronomy, when people are um, affirming the covenant by sacrifice, Moses splits the people up. This is before they come into the promised land. Half of the people are on one mountain, half the people are on another mountain. So Sermon on the Mount. And half the people say, if we uh, heed the covenant, we will be blessed with many years in the land and children and crops and every good thing. Then the other mountain, if we, if we break this covenant, if we defy the Lord our God, we will be cursed and we'll be kicked out of the land and we'll be, all these horrible things will happen. And so in Moses' teachings, there's blesses or curses. In Luke's teaching, there are blesses and there are curses, right? In Matthew, there's also blessings and curses, but they're split. And so the blessings are in chapter 5 of Matthew, but the woes, that is the curses, are here in chapter 23. So in a very real sense in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount frames everything about Jesus' public ministry that's bringing him to Mount Calvary, uh, the Passover supper, and his ultimate crucifixion and um, resurrection. And so we'll return a little bit to the woes because they're interesting to pay attention to, and we ought to pay attention to them. Um, but I didn't want to let you get away without pointing out that the woes and the blessings are both in Luke and Matthew. They just use them different. And they all go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And so um, let's, let's talk about 
Matthew 23. How about the part about teachers? Did you notice that Jesus did not tell the disciples, don't listen to the Pharisees? He said exactly the opposite. He said the scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Now the word in Greek for seat is cathedra. And if you think that sounds like cathedral, that's where we get the word. It's the bishop's seat. And so when he preaches from that seat, he's basically the heir of the seat of Moses. And so Jesus does not tell the disciples, don't listen to the Pharisees. What he says instead is observe and do all the things whatsoever they tell you, but don't follow their example. Because uh, you want teachers that walk, uh, talk the talk and walk the walk. And you're going to find that by the end of this reading, Jesus is pointing not at the Pharisees. He's pointing at the disciples. He's pointing especially at me, apparently. And so, you know, with knocking knees, I will go forward uh, to try to practice what I preach. And friends, you ought to do the same. Here's the second thing that's kind of interesting. I don't know if you picked up in um, the, the gospel um, that, I, that I read from chapter uh, 23, but um, did you get this part about the Pharisees? For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. I know you heard that. Where have you heard that before? Hey, how about this? Chapter, um, chapter Matthew 19, verses 18 to 20. And so this is Jesus talking to St. Peter at, um, uh, after Jesus said, you are the Messiah. And here's what he says about Peter the rock. And so I say to you, Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, like binding a burden, shall be bound in heaven, teaching authority. Whatever you loose on earth, whatever you give people mercy for, I shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So in the, the gospel, he's coming right back to that, where they tie up heavy burdens, they bind heavy burdens, hard to carry, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they'll not fit, lift a finger to loosen them. And so uh, for St. Peter, he better pay attention, as uh, all our posts better pay attention, um, that uh, we ought to be merciful in how it is uh, that the gospel is preached. And if you're thinking, oh, I don't know about that connection, well, listen again to the woes, the woe that I read. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You lock the kingdom of heaven before human beings. You do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow entrance to those trying to enter. Go back again to Matthew 19. Uh, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so in the blessings and the woe, especially in the warnings to his disciples and his criticisms of the Pharisees, he's talking about how you use this power, um, this authority to teach uh, the gospel. And so it better be done with mercy. Because remember, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who serves the other. Uh, serves the other. So mercy is at the heart of the gospel. And it's interesting how Jesus refers back to the charge to Peter and to the, uh, the papal primacy. 
And so at the end, and you probably remember this, as for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher and you're all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have one master, the Messiah. The greatest amongst you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Know who you are. Know that each of us stands under judgment just like the next guy. And so people get the chance to hear the truth, but they get to decide how it is they respond to God. So we don't bully, we don't coerce. I love St. John Paul II. He said, we can only propose the gospel. We can't impose the gospel. So the teaching authority. Uh, Jesus is not disrespecting the Pharisees' teaching. He's just saying you don't live it. And then he points to his own disciples and said, learn from their bad example. Don't be like that, like them. Do what the gospel says. And then be merciful to others. Don't tie up heavy burdens on them. You remember this is all about teaching authority because the chief priests and the elders in chapter 21, when he was cleaning the temple, asked him, by what authority do you do this? Well, um, the previous story was about the story of, uh, of who, is, who is the Messiah. And, uh, and so what I just went through at the beginning of chapter 3 is the answer to this question. And this is from the very end of chapter 22. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus questioned them. Remember I said Jesus went on the assault? He's no longer just responding to whatever of the parties in Israel that are against him. And so Jesus says, what's your opinion about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they replied, David's. And he said to them, how then does David, inspired by the Spirit, call him Lord? And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, and that's in Psalm 110, that David said to the whole assembly, no, that's uh, actually from Chronicles where Jesus, where David bows down before Solomon. But in Psalm, Psalm 110, that's where he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to, because, right? I mean, if David, who's the king, is calling the Messiah the Lord, well then, um, doesn't that mean that the Messiah is greater than David? Uh, because that's what the whole word, uh, word Lord means. And so when you get to how to teach, Jesus is giving you an example of how God teaches in chapter 23. And he's saying teaching by example, because as the uh, whole story of the crucifixion of Jesus rolls out, uh, Jesus is giving us a clinic on how to follow God. Uh, and how to accept suffering in our life, and how to live the truth of the gospel. So let's turn to that now and talk about hypocrisy, especially the hypocrisy that's in the church that we've all experienced. Hopefully we haven't been the source, but when we do, we go to confession, we ask God's mercy and forgiveness. But let's talk about hypocrisy in the church without all the guilt that can go with that. Why is it that people want to do religion on their own or want to disconnect from their communities? What happens when there's so much distrust out there? And distrust for reasons that aren't completely rational, that everybody's in a conspiracy against you. Oh, that's not rational, not completely rational. Um, 
And uh, the idea that people aren't worthy of your trust because they can be hypocritical, well, it's true, but it, what, you, what we don't get is we got the same problems as everybody else. Uh, and community is that we pull together and we try to make community work. Um, it's in the church, it's in marriage. Um, the Pope isn't our savior. The bishop isn't our savior. The parish priest is not anybody's savior. Your spouse, your husband, your wife is not your savior. Jesus relieved all of us of the burden of being the savior, of being the judge. He takes that on himself and he actually has the qualifications for it. So let's just let the savior, Jesus, be the teacher, the master, the rabbi, the end time judge. And that means we all could just like chill out and not do that. Uh, but you know, it's still, it doesn't actually answer the question, which is about the holiness of the church. You know, it can be, I think all of us can feel defensive about the holiness of the church. It's like when I started out my comments about call no man father, you know, because you know, in first Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthians, I am your father. Um, because nobody understood it the way that some fundamentalists think about it. What happens when like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you weaponize scripture, not for the salvation of others, but to attack them. This is what Jesus is facing in this in uh, Holy Week. But still, the reason we feel vulnerable to being attacked is that we have this creed that we call the Nicene Creed, which we say every Sunday. And do you remember how it ends up? That uh, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I believe that the church was meant to be unified. We have one father, one family, not a bunch of different teachers, not a bunch of different families, one father. Catholic, that's for everybody, nobody is excluded. That's apostolic, it's based on the foundations of apostolic teaching that is, comes to us in the, tra uh, the apostolic tradition of the church, in scripture and in liturgy. This is our teaching, but the one holy. Have you ever thought about that, the holiness of the church? Think about the story of scripture when you think about the holiness of church. And let's go back to the story of fall of Adam and Eve, because I keep saying all roads lead to the book of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve, this fundamental problem. Remember that uh, they fall to the servant's temptation. Adam turns on Eve, because this is what sin does. Eve points at the serpent and offloads her guilt onto the serpent. But the, as uh, Shakespeare wrote in the play, Julius Caesar, the fault is not in our stars, the fault is in ourselves. And this is where sin is rooted, not in somebody else, but in our own brokenness. And so you remember they hide. And God comes walking in the garden, because it's such a beautiful place, and he wonders what happens with Adam and Eve. And what do they do? They hide from him. Um, and so, um, because of their shame, how does Jesus come? Well, he comes in a manger. And the whole story of, uh, of Matthew, which starts with the Sermon on the Mount, is talking about what it looks like to live Jesus. He's poor in spirit. He's meek. He's a peacemaker. He hungers and thirsts for justice. He walks the walk, he talks the talk, and all of the Gospel of Matthew is about 
how it is that we live like him. But the key is he talks the talk and he walks the walk. So when his apostles are with him, what are they doing? They're talking the talk and the walk and the walk. But they do it imperfectly. I mean, Peter says, this is great that it's alluded to in chapter 23. You're Christ. And Jesus says, well, okay, Peter, now I have to go to Jerusalem. You remember this? And I have to be crucified, but I'll rise from the dead. And Peter says, God forbid. You know, which is, please, God forbid that your will be done, which is exactly the opposite of the Our Father, a deep sin. But Jesus keeps walking with him. He uh, remonstrates with him. And Peter gets up and keeps walking with Jesus. Peter betrays Jesus three times, but still he walks with Jesus even after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So we read these stories that really convict us on a deeply human level. Let's remember about what Adam and Eve didn't do. Adam and Eve hid. They didn't want to walk with God. What's the apostle do? What's the disciple do? Holiness, friends, is walking down the road with Jesus. Holiness is confronting the sins in our lives. Holiness is the transformation that the Lord offers us through the scriptures and the sacraments of the church. And we keep walking with them all the way up Mount Calvary to our own death because it's death that strips this off us. Um, Until then, we need to just be faithful. And remember that uh, your parish priest, your bishop, the pope can all be shlemiels. The guy sitting next to you in the pew can be a shlemiel. But you're supposed to listen. You're supposed to walk. If you think that you've been sent in a supervisory fashion to make every make sure everybody else does it right, and uh, it doesn't matter what you do, my friend, you're a very mistaken disciple, as would I be if I thought like that. So if we're going to talk the talk, let's walk the walk. And that's at the heart of chapter 23. It's a great gospel. But like many, you know, you need to listen to it. So God bless you. And we'll see you next week. This has been another episode of Oral Valley Catholic.